0: How's everybody doing? Everybody good? All right, you guys can just continue to come in and and have a seat. I want to just make an announcement before we begin to worship together. So you all know for the summer we're taking a break from Children's Church, and uh, I understand that that may be difficult for some of you parents. It was a little bit of a challenge for, for my wife last week as well. So somebody in the church has made, and they're out at the welcome desk. we got six bags, and within each bag there's some activities. For your kids to do during church, if you think that would help, you can just go to the welcome desk, one bag per family. There's five or six activities. I think it's really, really important that our kids learn from us how to worship. But I think it's also really important that our kids begin to learn at an early age what it looks like to sit under the preaching of God's Word. And so I know that some of you, you may struggle to get a lot out of the preaching this summer, Um, But just your Bible being open in front of your kids makes an impact in their life, and you can always go back and watch it later online if you so desire. So those bags are back there at the welcome desk if they will be a help to you. Uh, Let's stand and let's worship together.
1: There's a reason why we're standing now forgiven, Jesus is alive. There's a reason why we are not overtaken, there's a reason why we sing all through the the reason why our hope remains. Death, where is your sting? The, the great, great good night
0: Good morning. Welcome to Northside Baptist Church. We're glad that you're here on this wonderful Sunday. There's no better place to be than in the house of God, and so thank you for being here. I notice we have several guests with us this morning, visiting with us maybe for the first time or the second time. We're so thankful that you are here. Uh, You come to the right place. If you're looking for a place that loves Jesus Christ and I believe loves one another and um, wants to see the name of Christ proclaimed, uh, you came to the right place. Um, hopefully you received a bulletin when you came in. Inside that bulletin is a place for you to fill out some information about yourself. You can fill that out and put that. Um, there's a box right out there. You can't miss it on your way out after the service. And so we would greatly appreciate uh, if you would do that. There's also a place for you to list uh, in ways, and we can be praying for you. So please uh, let us know uh, that as well. Let me make some announcements very, very quickly. So hopefully you're going to be reading your bulletin. You see an announcement about our church picnic Sunday, July 25th at 1 o'clock. You can sign up. The information you need is in there. We have our watermelon social tonight at 6 o'clock. We have a bunch of watermelons. We're going to eat watermelons. Uh, there's going to be an opportunity for those of you who are artistic. You can try to sculpt a watermelon. Um, have you all ever seen where they take a watermelon and keep adding rubber bands to it? We're, we're, we're going to do that uh, tonight and watch some watermelons uh, blow up. And so that's going to be um, fun. So you don't want to miss it. Uh, we, we're going to gonna provide watermelon. We have some sweet tea and lemonade that's been left over. We'll use that. So if you want something else to drink, bring it. And just we're just going to hang out, fellowship, low-key, informal, Just get the love on each other and eat watermelon. Uh, VBS, if you have not signed up for VBS, do me a favor. Register today. Just take a picture of that QR code and register online. That would be helpful. Also, on your way out, on the bulletin board, when you walk out to the foyer, if you look to the left, there's a bulletin board that has a bunch of these shovels. On this shovel is juice boxes, Two packs. This is mine. I'm going to bring two packs of juice boxes. There are a bunch of these out there. If you will take those, and whatever items you take, make sure you bring those uh, for VBS so we have plenty of um, snacks and stuff for uh, the kids. Um, I'm trying to think if there's anything else. Awana, uh, if you are willing to help with Awana, please uh let miss alexa know and i'll make another announcement at the end of our service so last week you all got to hear from some of our students about their time at camp well while we were at camp our kids also went to camp and so we wanted to give them an opportunity just to share a couple words about what they learned or what they enjoy doing and so they're going to come and i think eli are you first is that what we decided all right come on eli Eli's going to come. I think there's three of them that are going to share. So this is Eli. So Actually, st- Catherine sharing, too. Oh, Catherine sharing, too. All right, we got four. Awesome. Well, we'll figure out the order. Eli's first. Fire on it.
2: Um, hi. My favorite part about camp was when I had a question, and it was, if God hates sin today, then does he plan our lives with sin in him? Does he plan sin in our lives? And I... My leader, Mr. Jude, answered that, and he said no that he doesn't, but he could see my point, and it felt like being resaved, though I didn't, so in other words, it was a camp revival. Um, Thank you, Mr. Jude.
0: Awesome. Very good, man. Very good. All right, uh, let's go, Elena, you want to go next? We'll go boy-girl. Come on. Samuel, you'll be after Elena, and then Catherine, you will be last but not least. All right. So, Ms. Elena, what did you learn about camp? What was your favorite part about camp? Share with us.
3: My favorite part about camp was that um, all the leaders, they were just um, really nice, and they, like, if we had a question, they would really help us out and, like, they were really encouraging, and they're just really nice. And also, um, there um, we learn how um, Jesus did stuff, like learned how Jesus cared and stuff like that, and how to be nice to everybody. So,
0: awesome! Yeah. Very Sorry. good! Very good! Very good! Samuel. Their theme was walk as Jesus walked, I believe, or something along those lines. And so how did Jesus live, and how can we live like Jesus? Hold that microphone up there. There you go. So, um,
2: like, our theme was how Jesus would, like, walk as Jesus walked and talk as Jesus talked and, like, things like that. So, um.
0: You're good. You had, you had your notes. I saw your notes. You had written down mm-hmm. some notes. So, walk as Jesus walked. What was your favorite part about camp? What's something you um, did that you loved?
2: Our hang time. Look at that.
0: There's your buddy. Thanks. you, I love it. Samuel tried to memorize his notes. That's awesome. What else you got there?
2: So, um, he had a really fun time going to camp. It was, like, my first time. Yeah, and first time. We had some really nice people there and they had fun games for us to play. And like Pastor Chuck who was our camp pastor taught us about I um, oh, got it thank you um, the parable like the parable of the unforgiving servant uh, he was really good at teaching it and he made it very understandable for me awesome and um, then we have our church group time which is like um, discuss- which is a discussion and at like Camp of the North Side, like the whole North Side group there, and
0: good, awesome.
2: With like one staff member, and I wanna, um, I wanna go to camp next year.
0: Awesome, awesome. Way to go, here I'll take that, man. Way to go, Samuel. I appreciate it. Hi, Catherine. Y'all know it is not easy to get up here and to look out and see all these faces. So I appreciate so much. Uh, them being willing to do it stepping out in faith what's up Catherine
3: Um, I guess my favorite part about camp was whenever um, Pastor Chuck taught us about um, how to forgive as Jesus forgave and it was kind of cool because he showed us this story about um, about this king and there was this I think it was a servant or just someone who of like 1500 tons something about tons and then he did the math and it was 2.5 $2. billion dollars and the king forgave uh, the the man that owed that much but then whenever the man had a different person that owed probably like I don't know just a very small sliver of it um, he did not forgive and it was kind of cool how to like see how that um, you can forgive and that
0: um, yeah. <laughs> I guess. Awesome, awesome. Thank you all. So Miss Iva, Miss Tracy, and then Jude were the three chaperones that went, and there were the four of them, and then Hannah Cobb also uh went with them as well. And uh, you know, God just worked in their hearts the way that he worked in the students' hearts, uh, and we praise God for that. Um let me, let me point out one more thing before I pray, and then we're going to continue to sing. Today is Mission Dignity Sunday. I don't have a video to show you. We're not taking up an offering as a church. Um, I'm just encouraging you to give on your own. Uh, it lists a couple ways that you can give if you don't want to text a number or give online, if you'd rather just write an old-fashioned check and mail it. There are some envelopes out there on the welcome desk. If you don't know what Mission Dignity is, it's a ministry of Southern Baptist and there's information here and I encourage you just go to the website and check it out but they are loving on retired senior pastors their widows who just did not make a lot of money while they were ser- serving as a pastor many of them bivocational They didn't have a lot of retirement. They don't have a lot of insurance. They just don't have a lot of money to live on. And so as Southern Baptists, we are helping them, giving them dignity as they live out their final days. An awesome ministry. Our church gives uh, on on a monthly, yearly basis a certain amount of money. But if that's something you're interested in, I want to encourage you to give to support that ministry as well. Let's pray and then we'll continue to worship together. Father, we come To praise your name, to magnify your name, you are worthy of our praise. Lord, we're going to sing about the blood. There's power in the blood. We're going to sing about there is a fountain. Jesus, your word says that in him there is redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. Father, we can be forgiven of our sins this morning. That's what we need first and foremost. We can be made right with you, God, through your death upon that cross. But then, Father, as the kids reminded us this morning, Lord, it's then about walking as Jesus walked. Part of that means stepping out in faith and getting up here, though maybe we're terrified or nervous, and and sharing a word of testimony in front of people. Or, Lord, maybe it's if we're going to walk as you walk Jesus, then that means not only do we need forgiveness, but we must extend forgiveness to those who have hurt and wronged us. And Jesus, maybe that is one of the hardest things that we will do as one of your followers. So I just pray that you'll use the words of our kids just to convict our hearts. Out of the mouth of babes, sometimes we're convicted. And Lord, if anyone here is struggling with forgiving today, or that seemed to be a theme that several of them brought up, Lord, would you just speak to our hearts. Thank you for our chaperones that went with them and and loved on them. And Father, we just pray that you would bless them um, and bless our church as we continue to minister and pour out into the hearts of these kids. Uh, Lord, you love them more than we do, but we love them a whole lot. And uh, Lord, we just want them to know you and follow you. As we continue to worship God, you be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen.
4: That um, teaching your children about Jesus Christ and what he did for you and I on the cross. If you don't see that, it's very important. You need to see that right now because this song we're going to sing now is for one of our little ones. She wanted the us to sing that song, so that's what we're doing today. Let's all stand and sing it. <laughs>
5: can satisfy my soul like you and who on earth could comfort me
0: if you will, take your copy of God's Word and turn to the third chapter of the book of Ruth. Ruth chapter 3. We're going to look at verses 1 through 9 this morning. Ruth chapter 3, verses 1 through 9, and this is the word of the Lord. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? So Curtis had a stand right before we sang the power, power in the blood. And as we stood, Malachi blurts out, hey, it's time to go home already? <laughs> no, no, it's not. No, son, I haven't had a chance to preach yet. We are not going home just yet. Um, and so this morning we are in Ruth chapter 3. Let me just give you a quick Background, if you've missed out, right? The, we, we've been introduced to this woman by the name of Naomi. She was married to a man named Elimelech. He dies. She has two sons. They end up dying, but prior to their dying, they get married. One of those women. What we know of is to be Ruth, and Ruth makes this pledge, this covenant to her mother-in-law that she will follow her back to Bethlehem. As they return to Bethlehem, she's going to be with her mother-in-law. So we come to chapter 2. These women have some great needs in their life. Uh, Ruth goes out to the barley field to find some grain, to find some lunch, some dinner. While there, she is introduced to this man named Boaz, who we find out is a relative of Elimelech, Naomi's deceased husband, Uh, he is generous and gracious to Ruth, Um, everything is going well, and then we come to the last part of chapter 2, and we read these words, and she lived with her mother-in-law. One of their needs has been met, a need for food, but there is another significant need that's hanging out there, And the author wants us to know at the end of chapter 2, it's not been met because Ruth is still at home with her mother-in-law. And that is a need for a husband, someone who will provide for them and protect them. And so that leads us into chapter 3. And I want you to notice two things and then some application for us this morning. Here's the first thing I want you to notice, and that's Naomi's plan. Naomi's plan. The plan really begins in verse 3, but let's, a little bit of background here in verse 1 and 2. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? Naomi here is assuming responsibility for helping Ruth find a husband. Block, in his commentary, writes this. He says, rest. right? That's what she says. Shall I not seek rest for you? Rest is derived from a Hebrew word that speaks of the security and tranquility that a woman in Israel longed for and expected to find in the home of a loving husband. Right? They're living in a male-dominated, male-centric society, and if you didn't have a husband or he had died, you were going to have a hard time surviving. And so Naomi believes that if Ruth gets a husband, then she gets a home, she gets protection, and she gets provision. So she says, is not Boaz our relative? right?" Just reminding us, he's related. With whose young women you were, see, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Uh, you, you'll be reminded, I believe it's at the end of chapter 1, it tells us that they returned to Bethlehem at barley harvest. Well, harvest has come, uh, the Lord has blessed them, it's been plentiful. Uh, Naomi knows that Boaz is going to be winnowing barley at the threshing floor and so you're like what what is this well the threshing floor was this raised platform a flat area often on a hill because you would get a good breeze they would take their grain their barley up there and so winnowing is the process where they would bring the grain in lay it on the threshing floor they would bring in animals or carts and the animals would begin to stomp on this breaking open right the husks Um, once the husks were broken open, they would take a winnowing fork or a pitchfork, they would throw it in the air, and the purpose was to separate the grain, the good stuff, from the chaff. So they toss it up in the air. Again, you're up on this hill, you got a good breeze. When you would throw it in the air, the, the good stuff, the grain, the heavier stuff, would fall to the ground, the chaff would blow away. So this is the work. This is what they're doing. This is what Boaz is doing. Naomi knows this, and so she comes up with a plan. Here's her plan in seven steps, beginning in verse one. Number one, step number one, wash, therefore, wash, take a bath. Always a good idea to take a bath. Nobody can argue with this. We talked about this at camp. Students, guys, take your showers, right? Wash. They they couldn't take a bath, but they could take a shower. Wash. This second step, anoint yourself. This was before uh, modern day deodorant. Praise God for modern day deodorant, amen? Especially when you're hanging out with a bunch of smelly boys, right? This was before deodorant, so to anoint yourself in essence means just put on some perfume. Right? Make sure you don't stink. Then step number three, put on your cloak. Some translations interpret this Hebrew phrase to put on your best clothes. Right? Put on your cloak, put on your best clothes. That's step number three. Three, everything is is going great so far. Step number four is go visit Boaz. She says, go down to the threshing floor, but do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. She says, go to the threshing floor. When the time is right, make yourself known to Boaz. Go to Boaz. That's step number four. Step number five, very, very important step. Verse four, but when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. This could get awkward really fast. Because you know it's dark. She waits for Boaz to go to sleep. And so her mother-in-law says, listen, you need to pay attention to where he lays down. Because if not, you could wind up at the feet of some other stranger. Pay attention to where he lays down. That's step number five. Step number six. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down. Or lie down nearby. Step number seven. And he will tell you what to do. So this is... The plan that Naomi has for Ruth. Ruth's response, verse 5, and she replied, All that you say, I will do. She's like, Okay, Naomi, I'm on board. Verse 6. So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother in law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk, notice it doesn't say he got drunk. It does say he had something to eat and he had something to drink and his heart was. Mary. The harvest had been good. He had enjoyed a great meal. He had had something to drink. He was rejoicing in the provision of God, and he lays down with a happy, merry heart. And it says this, he went to lie down, and at the end of the heap of grain, then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. One of the camp pastors at Snowbird, while he was preaching, would say, time out. I'm going to take a time out here. And I want to ask this question. What is really happening here? What in the world is Naomi asking her daughter-in-law Ruth to do? Every commentary I read, every sermon I either read the manuscript or listened to, everyone had to deal with this. I know we got kids in the room, so we're going to try to make this G or PG here. Is there or was there... Immorality, sexual immorality that took place on this night. Look, before I became a pastor, I was a youth pastor. And if a youth came into me and started using the language of, I'm going to this guy's house, I'm going to lay at his feet, I'm going to uncover his feet, I'm going to say, Oh, no, you're not. Like, that ain't happening. I remember I would tell my youth, I was like, Listen, you need to stay out of tempting situations. So, if you're with the girl or you're with the guy, like you don't need to have the lights off. You don't need a blanket. You don't need that stuff because it just invites temptation to come. And, and yet, that's the language we're reading here. Uncover, uncover his feet, lie down next to him. In addition to that, Hosea chapter 9, verse 1 says this You have loved a prostitute's wages on all threshing floors. So obviously, according to Hosea, in this day, there was a lot of immorality that would take place on the threshing floor. Prostitutes were known to go and offer their services to men who were on the threshing floor. And so you're reading this, and you're thinking, Naomi, what are you doing? So, did anything immoral take place this night on the threshing floor I believe from Scripture the answer to that question is no. I don't believe there was any sexual immorality that took place between Boaz and Ruth on this night. Now, was there opportunity for immorality? Uh Uh-huh, absolutely. Could something have happened? Yes. Was this risky behavior on Naomi and Ruth's part? Absolutely. Was this the wisest of plans of Naomi? mm -mm. No. Some of you dads right now are thinking, I would never let my daughter-in-law go do what Ruth just went. So, is this the wisest of plans? No. But I believe, based upon Scripture, nothing impure happened between them. Let me just give you a couple reasons why I think that. Number one, because nothing in this text calls into question their immorality. Are things a little sketchy? Like, is this the best plan? Probably not. But there's nothing here that calls into question their immorality. Second reason, in chapter 2, verse 1, Boaz is called a worthy man. You read a couple verses further down in our text, and we'll get to this next week. Boaz calls Ruth a worthy woman. So, was there a possibility that Boaz could have misinterpreted Ruth's intentions? Yes, he was asleep when he found out she was laying at his feet. Right? He was disoriented. But what he says to her is, you are a worthy woman. So there is nothing here, no indication given that that happened. And then the last reason, and we'll see this in more detail next week, is because Boaz's response to Ruth in verses 12 through 14 is a righteous response and obedience to this idea of being a kinsman redeemer. So if nothing immoral is taking place here, and that is not Naomi's intent, then what is Naomi telling Ruth to do? Here's what I believe the point of all of this is, and it's simply this. Naomi is telling Ruth she needs to make herself available for marriage. You need to let Boaz know you're ready for marriage. Let me point out a couple texts to you Outside of Ruth, that may help us to understand this. So in Genesis 38:14, we read this statement She took off her widow's garments and covered herself with a veil. She took off her what garments? Widow garments. What is Ruth? A widow. So obviously, in this day, widows for a period of time would wear some sort of garments to let people know she was a widow and that she was grieving. So could Naomi's purpose in, hey, go take a bath, put on some perfume, put on some different clothes, simply be, hey, it's time to let Boaz know you're ready for marriage? I think so. And then we also read this, and I want you to pay attention to the words. In 2 Samuel chapter 12, you all know the story. David commits adultery with Bathsheba. He then murders her husband to cover it up. Everything is exposed, right? Bathsheba is pregnant. David is David's child. We know that this child gets very sick and is going to die. David, prior to the child's death, is fasting and he is praying for his sick child. When the child dies, listen to what the text says. Notice the language. David arose from the earth and he washed, he anointed himself, and he changed his clothes. And he went into the house of the Lord and worshiped. This was David's way of saying, listen, my child is not coming back to me, but one day I will go to him. I have to trust in God's grace and get on with my life. And I believe what Naomi is telling Ruth to do here is, Ruth, you need to let Boaz know you're ready to get on with your life. Ruth is a widow. She has mourned over Malon's death. She has suffered, but it is time for her to find someone Who can provide for her. So this is Naomi's plan. A little sketchy. I wouldn't recommend it today. But nothing immoral takes place here. And then we come to Ruth's proposal. Ruth's proposal. So, verse 8. I love this verse. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over. I don't know what startled him. Could be the fact that she uncovered his feet. And there was a nice little breeze and he just woke up. Could be somebody was snoring, could be somebody coughed, could be an animal made a noise. I don't know. He's startled and the text says he turns over and behold, I love that, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. Anybody in here like me that when you wake up in the middle of the night, you are a little disoriented, like you're not 100% sure what's going on. Malachi went through a phase not too long ago, he's looking at me right now. He went through a phase not too long ago where every night, around 2 or 2.30 in the morning, he started going to Ryan, and then he realized, she's not waking up. She's ignoring me. So then every night he would come to my side, and he would just stand there and stare. (laughs) And then he'd be like, Dad, Dad, I can't sleep. Man, when when somebody wakes you up, you're startled. Like, Can you imagine if tonight you go to bed, and when you wake up, somebody's at your feet? And it's not your kids, and it's not your wife or your husband. It's a stranger. He asks a good question. Who are you? What are you doing here? What is happening? Let me come to verse 9. Now Let me point this out. Up to this point, Ruth has followed every step of Naomi's plan. But that's all about the change. Step 1 through 6. Check, 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 check. We got it. What was step 7? You do whatever Boaz tells you to do. So Boaz wakes up. We would expect Ruth to say, hey, it's Ruth. What do you want me to do? But she goes off playing. She deviates from the course. Look what it says. He said, who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. And we would expect it to say, what do you want me to do? She doesn't. She says this, spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. Ian DeGuided, his commentary writes, whether out of faith or fear or a simple inability to keep her mouth shut, she probably was startled herself, Ruth blurted out her whole heart in response to Boaz's question. Who are you? What are you doing? I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over me. For you are a kinsman redeemer. The ESV translate that, that translates that Hebrew phrase, spread your wings over me. It can also be translated, it says so the, on my, in my footnotes, spread the corners of your garment over your servant. Why? She says because you are a redeemer. We're going to talk more about that next week. What is a kinsman redeemer? So hear me. In Scripture, wings serves as a metaphor for the refuge that God provides. Psalm 91.4, under his wings you will find refuge. But in the Hebrew language, this is also a euphemistic idiom for marriage. When it talks about spreading your wings, it could be referring to marriage. Now now listen, let me make a connection here. This isn't the first time we've heard this phrase in Ruth. Ruth chapter 2, verse 12. This is what Boaz says to Ruth. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. we've already been introduced to this phrase of wings right this this idea that boaz recognizes ruth has made this covenant to naomi and to her god and, and and boaz is praying listen you've come you've found yourself under the wings of god you've made this sacrifice may god bless you for that may god bless you and be refuge for you ruth doesn't forget that conversation So while Ruth is here at the feet of Boaz, and he wakes up and he says, Who are you? It's as if she whispers to Boaz, Hey, Boaz, will you be the answer to the prayer that you prayed? You prayed that I would find protection and refuge under the wings of God. Will you be the wings of God and provide refuge for me? And she's asking him to do that through marriage as her kinsman redeemer. Before I get to the point of application, let's just be very clear here because Ruth is speaking loud and clear to Boaz. She is saying, I am available for marriage, I want to be your wife. I don't know why Boaz hasn't pursued her. I I believe Boaz probably already has feelings for her. I think Ruth is in it more than just a husband. I think she's attracted to Boaz. I think she already loves Boaz. Maybe, Maybe she had these garments of widowhood, and so that's why he didn't approach her. It could be that he knows there's another person ahead of him to be the kinsman redeemer. We'll look at that next week. So I don't know why Boaz, maybe he's just a shy dude. I don't know. But Ruth makes it clear boaz the ball's now in your court it's up to you i'm available i'd like to marry you what are you going to do about it and then we'll pick up the story next week with what boaz decides to do about it but let me spend a couple minutes with a point of application and here's what i want you to notice i want you to notice this morning the risk of love the risk of love do you realize As you read through this, how how much Ruth risked in the name of love? And Again, I don't think this was just, hey, I need a man in my life, I need a husband. I think she genuinely had feelings for Boaz. In the process of doing this, Ruth broke so many cultural taboos in coming to Boaz. She was younger, he was the elder. She was a servant, he was the boss, he was the master. She was a Moabite, he was an Israelite. She was poor. He was rich. She was a woman. He was a man. Not only did she break all of these cultural taboos, but she also followed Naomi's advice, even though Ruth didn't have all the details. All right, mother-in-law, you've laid out the plan, but then what? Like what what is Boaz gonna tell me to do? You you don't know the whole story. Like, what's going to happen to me next? What, what if he wakes up and he misinterprets my intentions? What, what if he doesn't want anything to do with me? What if he reports me? What if people find me? Like, I don't know what's going to happen. Ruth didn't have all the details. She trusted her mother-in-law. She trusted in God. And we'll see in a minute she trusts in Boaz. Hear me. For most of us, we don't venture out in faith because we can't see beyond the next step. And that scares us to death. We want to be safe. We want to be in control. A Part of it, I think, is just our sin nature. Part of it is maybe the culture in which we live. We just like to be in control. We want to be safe. We like to know all the details before we step out in faith. But hear me. It's not faith if God tells us all the details ahead of time. It's not faith. And you and I have got to be willing to trust God and step out in faith because of who He is. Naomi and Ruth are taking a massive risk here. And yes, they're trusting in God to be the wing, to provide the refuge, but they are also, and this is important I think, placing their trust in the integrity of this man named Boaz. They believe he's going to do the right and honorable thing. And therefore, they are willing to trust in him. And so here's the connection I want to make to us and the gospel. Because I think Boaz, as we'll see in the next couple weeks, is pointing us to Jesus Christ. As Naomi and Ruth were depending on the integrity of Boaz, you and I are depending on Jesus Christ. We are staking our lives on Jesus. And the question for us this morning is simply this. Can we trust Jesus? Can we trust Him? I love what Tony Meredith writes. He says, To the extent that we know we can trust Him, we will take risks to live for Him and to further His kingdom. Church, there were some risks involved When Rod and I followed God's leading here to Northside and Noonan, there were some risks. But coming here was easy for the most part. What if God had said, Look, Aaron, I want you to go to Japan or some third world country where you could be persecuted for your faith? There's a whole lot more risk involved in that. Would I have been as willing to say, God, we're on board, this is your will, let's go? Like it was easy. To come here, we were excited. We we saw what God was doing, and so can we trust His kindness? Can we trust God's kindness? Here is what Ephesians says. It says that in Him we uh, have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us. So, can you trust in the kindness of God? Yes. He's lavished his grace upon you. Can you trust in his integrity? Can you trust in the faithfulness of God? That no matter where he leads you, he will be faithful to be with you in the midst of that. Can you trust in the saving, redeeming power of God? And the answer to all of that is yes. Yes, we can trust him. See, church, here's what I believe. We're going to start a series through Ephesians when we get done with with Ruth. And so I've been studying Ephesians 1 already and, and, and working through that. I believe in the sovereignty of God, and I believe in the love of God. That's what Paul says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption as sons. That verse speaks to the sovereignty, the ruling, the reigning, the power of God, and it also says in love he adopted us as sons. So I believe in the sovereignty of God. I believe in the love of God, which means... I should be willing to risk it all, to risk everything for the glory of God. Because I know He will not fail me, He will not leave me, He will not forsake me, nor will He do anything in my life that is not ultimately for His glory and my good. So here's the question for you and I. As we think about Ruth and what she was willing to risk in her life, here's the question for us. What are you willing to risk for the sake of the gospel? What are you willing to risk for the sake of the gospel? We have bought into this lie in America of cultural Christianity. That we can be a Christian in this culture and it not cost us anything. It's comfortable. But hear me, that is not the way of Jesus. And that is not what he taught. This morning in Sunday school, Chris was focusing on... Uh, it's, it's National Martyr Day coming up, and so he, he was talking about a, a young girl in Colombia who lost her life because she told somebody about Jesus Christ. And we think, man, that's in other countries. I, don't even, I can't even relate to that, but listen to what Jesus said. Um, Luke 21. Luke 21. Then he said to them, nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes and in various places famines and pestilences, and there will be terrors and great signs from heaven. But before all this, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you. Delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons. And you will be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake. This will be your opportunity to bear witness. Settle it therefore in your minds. Not to meditate beforehand how to answer. For I will give you a mouth and wisdom which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. And then he says this in verse 16. You will be delivered up even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends. And some of you. They will put to death. You will be hated by all for my name's sake. Jesus is abundantly clear. It will cost you to follow Jesus. Now, look, God has blessed us, church. You didn't choose to be born here in America. I had no say so over that. That was God's blessing in my life. And we have, I have lived, you have lived, I don't think our kids. Will live, but we have lived in a time in which you could claim to be a Christian, and it cost you nothing. In fact, you could be an incognito Christian, if you will. It doesn't exist, but what we think it does, and that is, hey, I'll come to church on Sunday mornings, maybe Sunday nights, maybe even on Wednesday nights, and I'll I'll do my church thing, but then I'll go to work. And nobody at work has to know that I'm a Christian. Nobody at work has to know this is what I believe. I'm just going to blend in. I'm going to fit in. Every now and then I may say something, but it's cool. Um, I'm just going to play it safe. Hear me. We have been able to play it safe for a long time. But I believe, unless God brings about a massive revival, the days of playing it safe as Christians are no more. There have been times in our past where you could remain silent. You could sit in the workplace. You didn't have to speak up. You didn't have to tell people what you thought about salvation or what you thought about this or what you thought the Bible taught on this. There was a day. But we are living in a culture right now where you are not able to be silent. Every one of you, it is a matter of time. It could be tomorrow. It could be six months. It could be three years. But every one of you will be forced to speak up and tell somebody what you think the Bible says about sexuality. You cannot hide any longer. Our culture is not going to let you hide. It went from, hey, let me live my life, just give me the rights and the freedoms that I want, to very quickly becoming, listen, it's not just about my rights, but you have to agree with it. You have to say it's okay. You have to give approval to it. You have to applaud me for this. You can't any longer in our culture stand on the sidelines and be quiet. They will not let you. Every one of us, that day is coming in which you're going to have to give an account for the hope that is in you. And when that day comes, church hear me, it may cost you. It may cost you. I will not be surprised, and I'm not a doomsday person. You just see where things are going. I will not be surprised if my sons are denied a job one day because of what they believe. Or they lose a job because of what they believe. Or they can't buy a house because of what they believe. We're getting there. It shouldn't surprise us. Other countries have lived like that for years. It's cost them their very life. They couldn't eat because they believed in the name of Jesus. But I love what it says in the midst of this. Jesus' words, this will be your opportunity to bear witness. See, we can look at this as doomsday. Oh, no, I'm going to have to give an account. What's going to happen to me? Or we can look at it like martyrs have looked at it, that in the midst of that persecution, when you are called to give an account, that's the moment to give witness. That's the moment to stand and say, listen, we're all sinners, but Jesus Christ can save us and He can transform us and our hope is in Him and I will stake my life upon Him. So Here's the question for you. Is there anything in your Christian life right now that speaks only of faith? That it is solely by faith that God is leading you to do this? And are you risking anything to trust God And follow him are you risking anything because you love jesus and believe that only jesus christ can save you from your sins that only jesus christ can give you the forgiveness of sins that only jesus christ can unite all things in him things in heaven and things on earth that only jesus can reconcile us to god the father are we willing to speak up to give an answer for the hope that is within us If we believe Jesus can be trusted, and we love Him, then we will stand, and we will speak. And you and I know that the church has been silent for far too long. Or we've been too angry, rather than saying, listen, this is Jesus, and Jesus alone can save you. Will you close your eyes and bow your head? Father God, I, I don't know what you're going to do with this message. Lord, I, I struggle with it a lot this week. And then, God, sitting in Sunday school and Lord, hearing this testimony and watching this video of this young girl in Colombia who was shot and killed before her husband and her kids because she believed that every person that came to her door should know Jesus Christ. God, I gotta be honest. That kind of wrecked me. And in a way I would have been okay if, if when Malachi said, Hey, is it time to go home? We just all went home. Because Lord, I don't know if I've always been the most faithful and the most courageous and, and the most bold. God, I would like to say it's just because I'm timid and I'm shy and I'm an introvert. But God is the more honest answer that sometimes maybe I'm not trusting you the way that I need to trust you. Is the honest answer that I prefer comfort more than I do being faithful? Is the honest answer that maybe I'm afraid of losing some of the control that I have in my life? Could it be that I don't want to be made fun of? That I don't want people to mock at me? That I don't want my name to be thrown out all on the internet because of something I said that has gone out over video? And, and now people are laughing at me? And I, I don't even know... The answers to that question. But I know you love me enough to send your son Jesus to die for me. And I know that when you say, take up your cross and follow me, you also say to deny yourself. And taking up our cross means we're going to die. And I know that following you, Jesus, isn't always going to be easy. It's going to be costly. But we need to count that cost and understand it's well worth the risk. Because, Jesus, you are worth it. You are worthy of our praise and our glory and our honor. And so, God, I just pray that you will take this message and somehow use it to convict, to encourage, God, just to draw us closer to you. Lord, as we think about Ruth and, God, some of the things that we'll risk in the name of love, the things that we have done because we love somebody or cared about somebody, but yet sometimes, God, there seems to be a disconnect when it comes to loving you and following you. And telling other people about you. God, I remember some of the things that I I did Dayton Ryan. Standing outside for two hours in 20-degree weather because I was in love. God, what what kind of things am I doing like that for you? What, what, what am I doing because I just love you? And it may not make sense to the world, but God, you have changed me, and I just want to know you and be consumed with knowing you. So God, as we sing this song, Lord, just speak to our hearts. If we need to come and pray, if we need God just to confess sins to you, if we need to give our life to you and be saved, God, would you just speak to our hearts right now, I pray, and ask all this in Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to ask you to stand. We're going to sing a couple verses of this song. So if you'll sing with us. Let me make one more announcement before Dennis comes and closes us in prayer. So you'll notice in the bulletin that on July 11th, immediately following our morning worship service, we're going to have a special called church conference meeting to vote on the associate pastor search committee that the deacons have compiled a list of names, and we'll present that to you. We'll vote on that that Sunday. I'm giving you two weeks notice because I know next week is the 4th of July and some of you will be traveling. But next week, those names Will appear in the bulletin, so you can know who they are. i going to have a week just to be praying about that, um, and then again, we'll have a really short meeting right after our morning service. It's been a great day to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. Dennis, if you'll come, close us in a word of prayer. Don't forget to pick up the little things for VBS and how what you can bring, and we'll see you tonight uh, for our watermelon social.
4: Let's pray, Lord. We thank you. Uh, for the opportunity you give us to be in your house worshiping you. Lord we thank you for the reminder that our, our young people have reminded us that how important it is to, to walk as Jesus walked. Lord we thank you for our message today Lord how you want to, how you work through situations and uh, circumstances Lord may we be faithful to follow and uh, seek to obey you in all that we do. Uh, Lord we entrust our lives to you. You've given all for us so Lord help us to be that uh,
0: that witness that you call us to be for it is in Jesus name that I pray. Amen. Mm-hmm. <sighs>